Hello, my name is Nico Fuentes and I will be having a conversation with Felicita Feli Maynard for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is December 12th, 2019, and this is being recorded at the Mid-Manhattan Library. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you are sitting with me today. As I cheese over the microphone. <laughs> How's your week been? Um, my week has been kind of ups and downs, a lot of like peaks and valleys, um, but it's going good. Uh, my birthday's on Monday, so it's kind of like this, I'm about to be 30, so I'm just trying to like go into it with a clear mind sense mm -hmm. yeah but uh, no i'm not supposed to ask you how you're doing but how are you doing you're doing great i'm glad thank you for having me once again <laughs> so. so should i just talk you just want me to talk all right well hey y'all my name is feli or uh, my real name is felicita but everyone calls me feli i am an afro latinx uh genderqueer a visual artist who lives and works in Brooklyn, born and raised in Brooklyn. That's all I know. Um, definitely have seen a lot of changes with the borough um, and have seen basically kind of like a, a washing of my neighborhood and the areas that I live in. Um, so that's why I think I'm very appreciative to you and what you're doing because this is very important just for us to like kind of like record moments in time which might not necessarily have the opportunity to exist later on in the future mm -hmm. um i don't know about you but new york i don't know if i'm going to be able to live here in the next 10 years um new york is very much so a place where it's becoming it's not for the regular people it's very much so for uh, trust fund kids uh people with money uh, people from other countries coming here and setting up shop, which there's nothing wrong with that, but there's very much so a displacement that's been going on very much so. Um, and it's been something that I've been dealing with for maybe the last 10 years of my life, um, losing a lot of people that I grew up with um, just to soaring rent prices, uh, inability to uh, pay mortgage payments, um, just... The, I guess, I wouldn't even call it a minority struggle, just the struggle of necessarily not having the same opportunities as everyone else and then still trying to make it work. Mm -hmm. um, I live in Park Slope. Um, Park Slope was definitely an area that was being gentrified while I was growing up. So me and gentrification have a very, we have a different relationship versus someone who is just dealing with it now. Um, I grew up with it, so for me, it's very much so like, um, how do I say? I kind of see it, or I've had the experience of seeing it through rose-colored glasses um, and not very much so understanding what was going on until it was too late. Um, luckily, I still live in my family home. Um, my grandfather came here in the 1950s and set from up where? from Panama. Mm -hmm. um, he came here... Uh, looking, I guess, looking for a better life, but also just very much so tired of what was going on in Panama. Um, not enough work. Uh, after the canal and stuff, a lot of job opportunities went down. 
Um, and yeah, the kind of industry, the economic, the economy of the country wasn't always at its best. And it's always kind of tried to model um, the same model as the United States, but never fully got there. Um, so he came here, uh, made a life for himself, uh, up first in the Bronx, um, and then came down to Brooklyn and uh, met this uh, Irish man. I don't know his name, but we know him as the Irish man. Mm-hmm. Met, met an Irish man who um, basically made him do odd jobs for him. Um, and he would like, you know, fix basements, uh, do flooring, grouting, tiles, and all that other stuff. Um, and then kind of they created, a, they started, a, they became friends. Um, and after they became friends, kind of, I think, this Irish man kind of knew that he he didn't have any family, he didn't have any kids, so he left my grandfather with a house. He gave him the house that he had, um, and because of that house, we're still in Brooklyn right now, um, wow. on Sixth uh, Avenue and Sixteenth uh, Street in Park Slope. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you, uh, sir. <laughs> I give you blessings from you know from here from the present life, but. Uh, yeah, I'm very, very grateful to say that I have a family home, um, which I know is not a thing, especially for a lot of black and brown people in Brooklyn. Uh, well, in Park Slope, Brooklyn, because black people own things. Don't get it twisted. We own things. Um, quick advice. Don't sell your grandmother's house. Don't sell your auntie's house. Hold on to it. Um, but yeah, we own things, but not in Park Slope. Park Slope is very much so whitewash right now. It's only... You know, I only see strollers and dogs and one specific type of person pushing the stroller and the dog. Um, so, yeah, after my grandfather got the house, uh, you know, he moved in with uh, my uh, my father and his and my two uncles who left Panama to come here when they were in the. Like the late 60s. Um, early 70s they came here because my grandmother she actually passed away they were living in Panama my father and uh, his brothers and when my grandmother passed away they came to Brooklyn to come stay with my grandfather who's already here Um, and then luckily got the blessing of having a house for them to come to stay in so that's why he was able to sponsor them to come over here after my grandmother died Um, and yeah, I just think of like, you know, three black men coming from Panama in the 70s and in, and Spanish being their first language, having to learn English, having to like just deal with like the racism in the city and and all that. And and they did it. And I'm here because of them. So I'm very appreciative to my ancestors who made it happen for me. Um, and my mother's story is a little bit kind of similar to that, but not really. My mother came from Colombia um, in the 80s, and she came here uh, during the big uh, Pablo Escobar uh, reign of terror in Colombia. Um, she came here and got sponsored by her father um, to live with her with her half-sister in Coney Island, um, but didn't realize that the situation that she was going to in Coney Island was like the hood, like the hood hood, <laughs> hood. <laughs> and you know, she's, she could deal with it because she came from Colombia, like, through that whole, like, reign of terror, but still, like, the whole idea of coming to Brooklyn in the wintertime in January and making it happen here, um, and she actually, her first job was selling hot dogs, uh, she had a hot dog stand on 9th Street and 5th Avenue in Park Slope, and that's where she met my dad, um, and they got together, and 
they had me. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, my life has definitely always been a mixture of being here in New York, but definitely being raised as if I was back home. Um, so I grew up speaking Spanish in the house. Uh, Spanish was my first language. I, le- I learned English in, uh, in kindergarten. Um, I traveled to Panama when I was one, and I stayed there for over six months. Um, so most of my early childhood has been very much so about migration and not really understanding the migration, but knowing that home was not here. Um, and like understanding also that I had a lot of connections that were fractured, um, because of my parents coming here and trying to make a better life for us. Um, but at the same time, it's my responsibility now that I'm older to try to like reconnect the dots and try to make sense of family connections that I never understood or never got the chance to understand. So a lot of my work has been kind of uncovering forgotten histories, forgotten stories that people don't know about, um, and just kind of making sense of this in the whole wide spectrum that is the African diaspora. Mm Because I think people forget how wide the African diaspora is and how it has, it kind of, it's a Venn diagram. They overlap, a lot of things overlap within each other, um, and a lot a lot of it also goes back to how fluid blackness is. And I think people forget how fluid that, yeah, that is. There is no definition to blackness and society tries to put a definition on it, but it's very much so diverse. So that's just a quick, uh, (laughs) little quick spiel for my people. Blackness is everywhere. Uh, you can't run from it. Uh, we all started from blackness, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing to be scared of. Uh, embrace it, and you'll—I I think you'll be very happy at what you find within that, um, within that, that shadow of a doubt or whatever, whatever it is that you're scared of. I, I definitely think that you need to understand blackness and not be scared of it. Um, so going back to what you were saying about how you are um, connecting dots and, and, and uh, what you said about uh, fracture, what has been fractured um, with your experience of migration, how, what is the work that you do? Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, walk us a little bit through the work. My work, um, which also I'm getting, I'm getting better at talking about it. I'm not really good at talking about my work as, as an artist. I think I just make it and then I kind of like just put it out there and let people make sense of it more so than me putting a definition about on it. But I am a visual based artist. I work primarily in, uh, film photography and historical photography processes. Mm. Um, I'm doing um, wet plate photography, which was popular during the, I want to say 1830s to about like the 19, early 1900s. Um, These images are usually shot on tin or on glass. um, And they would have been like, primarily when you see these images, they're usually, they're usually images 
not to say, but the reason why I got into it was when I saw black people on this process, it wasn't in the most positive light. It was a very negative light. The first uh, web play images I saw were uh, stereotypical uh, slave portraits um, done to basically make sense and classify black people as a lesser species because of certain things like head size or hand size or uh, the distance that your eyes are from, you know, uh, from the middle of your head to your nose, just, just like crazy things that, you know, you wouldn't think people would have done, but, you know, it makes sense. Um, when you want to make someone less, less than, you study them a lot and you find things that you can kind of classify as different or odd or or not like us uh very much so it was a time where photography was used to create a them and to create a us um us being uh white colonialistic uh subjects and them being everyone else who did not fit in that category um so for me this process is very important for me to do because i am I'm reclaiming um, moments in time that have been seen as not important, but specifically what I'm doing is me as a black person, I'm taking, I'm taking that ownership back and saying, I am a black person and I'm going to photograph other black people and other people of color who necessarily could have been represented wrong by someone else. Um, so I think it's very important for us to tell our own stories and tell it, tell it in a way to our people that they feel safe, but that they can also continue that uh, trajectory. Um, so like I've been working a lot on just kind of, um, my latest project is called Old Dandy um, and it works with um, me recreating uh, these two characters who would have lived in the 1900s um, and they're queer trans characters they're both male impersonators um, who worked in Coney Island specifically because of Coney Island's history. It, Coney Island is very queer. I don't think people realize that. It's like one of the queerest spots in Brooklyn uh, between the bathhouses that were there, between just like the cruising. Um, also, the subway gave access to a lot of things. So. Yeah, Coney Island is gay as hell. <laughs> so with that being said, um, a lot of my story is centered around Coney Island and how it used to be a even it it used to be a place that was very inclusive, but also not inclusive at the same time because black people also weren't allowed in Coney Island, and uh, you know Latin people, Jewish people, like the list goes on. Um, so anyway, these characters they perform in the low vaudeville theaters. Um, in Coney Island, um, one of my characters, their name is Angelo, um, and Angelo comes from South Africa, and um, they actually get to New York by way of the circus, um, by way of the circus. Um, they were actually sold into the circus and then run away, they run away from the circus and create a life for themselves, um, performing as a male impersonator. Um, and then my other character, his name is Jean, and I play Jean, and Jean comes from Panama, um, and they're, uh, they're half Panamanian, um, half, uh, um, what you call it, uh, African-American. Um, and their mother's actually from New Orleans. Um, so there's like a very much so like spiritual background within that as well. 
um, and also knowing about our power and how much we're how much we're connected to the old land, but also how much ritual is instilled in us, and we don't realize how like like how much ritual we have and how our daily acts are literally like very much so powerful magic spells in a sense like us just you know being around each other us uh dance parties us uh basically um getting together and 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 just holding space like that that's a very 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 strong and powerful energy behind it um so kind of just going back to how important the queer community is and how very much so they're kind of left out from very much so everything, um, especially uh, history in New York. Um, queer history has made very much so mo- most of New York. New York is based off of just queer people. Um, they're the ones who got a lot of the city to its acclaim as far as in arts and history and music, etc. cetera. Um, so I kind of want the to, the, the basis of this project is also to honor a lot of people who have been a part of these queer queer communities in the past, but never got a chance to basically celebrate themselves because of either fear from society or fear from family or just not wanting to kind of, in a sense, mess up their lives because coming out is still very much so a very radical thing to do. Um, a lot of people don't have the space to be out. Um, and I just want to celebrate those people who were out at a time where it was like, what? Like it's 1800 and you're out and you're doing your thing and you're celebrating with community. That's amazing. You should be celebrated and we should know who you are. Like queer ancestors. I feel like people don't celebrate their queer ancestors mostly because we don't have access to know who they are. Um, so I, definitely commend this project because this is important. You're literally saying that us as people deserve the space to record our history, but also we have the space to become queer ancestors um, and continue on that cycle of just honoring what was there before us. Um, So yeah, thank you. (laughs) But um, yeah, that's kind of some of what I've been doing right now. Uh, It's been consuming my my life for the last year and a half. kind of a lot of research and just putting myself in the shoes of how would a person in the 1800s handle themselves? Um, what is radical about being, or how can I how can I be radical in my character portrayal of this person who would have lived back in the day? Um, and how can I honor them in a way that also is very Afrofuturistic and bends time and kind of kind of changes the ripples of time and yeah I want it to be something where it's like you have to do a double take and you have to like really look at it and be like was this made now or was this did this exist already um and yeah that's very much so been the basis of my work kind of like trying to trip people and and make them to think about history differently because we've been fed history a lot like the wrong way um textbooks are wrong (laughs) <laughs> a lot of books are wrong um, and it's up to us to correct these things and the only way we can do that is if we get together and actually have these these discussions and have these conversations around why it's important um, so yeah that's kind of that in a way can they speak now can who speak can I speak now 
the um, the two performers that you're um yeah um so i guess we're gonna do so this is gene y'all gene is in the building right now and gene just wants y'all to know that we're important we're here we ain't going nowhere and uh honestly most of this country has been built off of our backs um i am i think this is 2019 slash 1902 and I'm here on your on your wavelength because um, I just kind of like tripped through the time portal um, and Feli invited me here real quick to talk about some stuff. Uh, my suit is important. It My hat is important. It's a trigger that allows me to connect to all those who are behind me. Every time I put the suit on, I am so powerful, like literally, like I feel the ancestors on my back telling me that I have to perform. I have to like, I have to show this power behind me, but not, but also behind what could be. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's it because I think if I go into this rant right now, I'm going to kind of get lost. So I'm going to bring Feli back onto the airway. Hey y'all, I'm back. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> but yeah, um, my character speak, um, I actually am working on a, uh, I'm doing a, a a mentorship program right now with uh, the Queer Arts um, uh, program. And my mentor is um, Lola Flash, which is also a very, 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 very dope queer artist who's been doing this uh, since the 70s and has been basically archiving. They did a lot of work during the AIDS crisis. They did a lot of work um, just basically showing how... Um, how women were very much so left out of that whole epidemic um, and did not get the care or information that they needed. Um, and they're just someone who I really have been admiring for a very long time. So this for me is like a dream come true to be working with someone who's just been killing the game for a very long time. Um, so yeah, I'm doing this project with them and they're actually going to be the one helping me kind of bring old dandy to like a more, uh, larger scale um, and help me think on how I can get this to a wider audience, but also get it in a way where it's, how do I say, um, kind of like giving it to y'all in doses where you don't feel so overwhelmed by not knowing who these people were, <laughs> but kind of like educating you in a way where hopefully it would inspire you to also go into your own rabbit hole to figure out other queer ancestors that kind of could have inspired you in a sense. Um, and uh, yeah, we both, um, they also shoot film. They shoot four by five film, um, large format uh, film, which for me is very important um, in this digital age where I feel like we're very much so oversaturated by images, by just art, by everything. And we don't know really what we're looking at anymore. We're just looking at stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and through film photography, especially like for me in the process, it allows me to slow down and really like look at what I'm looking because I can't, I can only shoot one roll of 12 <laughs> versus shooting forever. So I have to really think about what I'm shooting. I have to really talk to the person that I'm shooting and ultimately create a relationship with, with people, with
which I feel is very much so has been lacking from photography in a way. I feel like it's very much so become, well, it's always been very exploitive, but it's it's getting more exploitive because it's 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 24-7. Social media, you it don't stop. You can post anytime. You can do whatever, like, no shade. Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has them, and everyone thinks their opinion matters now, and, and it, it doesn't, that, you know? Like, the world is huge. There's a lot of shit going on. So um, through this process, I'm literally having to slow down and really like figure out what is important and why is it important? Why am I shooting this? Is this worth it to shoot? Um, who who am I am I showing this person in a true light? Which for me is very important in my work. I want I want the person to show themselves how they want to be seen, not how I want them to be seen. It's about how you want to be seen because ultimately. A lot of my work is also about creating an archive, creating a space that shows that we've we've been here. We we haven't gone nowhere. We're still here. Um, so yeah, I mean, I get so passionate about it that I go into this <laughs> rant and then I forget what I'm talking about. Um, you're talking about um, so you were talking about looking that you are using a, a camera. Uh, for looking um, and it's interesting to hear you talk about um, your subjects um, as um, being seen I wonder if you can explain um, how you differentiate looking and seeing or if there is one um, yeah looking and seeing is very different looking is just for me is a very quick action sometimes and it doesn't you can look, but pe- looking doesn't really require studying. Um, I think when you see someone, you you have taken the time to be with them, and and not necessarily you don't have to know all of all of them, but you can get a gist of who they are. Um, looking can be very uh, invasive, and seeing can be very affirming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people are like. A lot of people are just looking right now. No one is really seeing anybody for what they are. And I don't blame them. It's very hard. Like I said, once again, it goes back to the oversaturated. We're oversaturated. It's too much going on constantly. I feel like people don't know how to feel anymore because they're overstimulated. When you're overstimulated, you don't, there's no base. There's no level. Um, And I feel like we need to get back to a point where there's a level where there is a way that people can disconnect from all the connection. Um, Because, yeah, you're connected all the time, but you're not in it. You're just connected. You're this. There's nothing from it. You're you have a veil over your eyes, essentially Um, A a veil, a very much so a veil where you don't you're kind of everything is. Or maybe. Let me put it in this way. You have Vaseline all over your lens. You know when your camera lens is dirty? Everybody's walking around with a dirty camera lens right now. And not they're looking through the dirty camera lens, but they're not seeing anything because you can't. You can't see it. It's going to mess it's going to be a messed up picture anyway. Um so I think that's until we learn how to kind of disconnect in a way that it will allow us to connect better. <laughs> it may, it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. Um I think we're going to have a lot of issues of not seeing people. We're just always going to just be looking. 
and looking kind of also can lead to a very exploitive uh, just journey with everything Mm -hmm. just for the fact that you just see and well you don't you just take honestly you just take and um, that's why I also think my work is important because it's hard for you to take from something that is a that is a process. My work is very much so a, a process. Um, and um, it takes time and it takes a lot of work. Um, like I said, I'm still shooting. I'm shooting the same way they would have shot in the 1830s. Yeah, walk us through that process. Okay, so I'm shooting wet plate collodion. Um, wet plate collodion is a process that came out during the Civil War, or it became very popular during the Civil War because it became accessible to people who... It's kind of like, it became the poor man's photography in a sense. Um, and it made it, before then, um, the techniques, the photographic techniques were like daguerreotypes and all that. And daguerreotypes take a lot of time to make. And they're also really expensive to make. Tin, um, wet plate photography with the invention of tintypes and ambrotypes. Tintypes are images that are basically just on tin. And ambrotypes are images that are on glass, which they have a duality to them. They... Um, can be positives and they can be negatives. So I can show them like that or I can make images from them like prints. Um, And that's why it became popular because photographers um, in the day can make one glass plate negatives and then make prints from this one glass plate and can make money from it ultimately. So a lot of postcards came out um, this way. Um, A lot of, a lot of, but but with it also came a lot of the exploitative um, process of photography. Um, this 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 version of photography came out a lot during um, colonialism in Africa. So a lot of the imagery that we see of this is very much so uh, curated images by Western photographers that went to Africa and decided, hey, so I'm here, I wanna take your picture, but throw on this scarf, put on this jewelry and um, yeah, today you're going to be Zulu, um, and then tomorrow you're going to be uh, Kosa, and then after that you might be, um, you know what, I don't even know yet. We're going to make it up tomorrow. Um, so you have very much so a lot of, and, and it's crazy because these are, the, these are the images that are still in textbooks today, and these are the images that are, if you go to the Met or if you go to the American Museum of Natural History, you know, you're going to see images made at, of this time. Um, and... You know, this is the historical narrative that they that they feed us, um, and you grow up thinking that this is regular, and it's all fake. It's all literally somebody curated this history for you. Somebody told you, okay, this is what it is, and it was never like that. So that's why I got into wet plate photography because I saw these images. Like like I said, the first images that I saw were slave images, and I was like, hold up. Black people definitely were surviving and thriving at this time, but why is it that I only see them as slaves? Um, and why is it that I only see also a, a specific look? They're all made to look sad. They're all made to look uh, very disconnected and alienated from from the camp. Like they don't they don't look like humans. They don't look like people. They're meant literally. They they look like 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 subjects like. A medical lab, like it, it's it, it's very, like I still I get like, ah uh, about it because like I said, these are still images that are used that are being used to teach history, um, 
and you know, growing up, I'm like, you know, history. Wait, hold on. History is is this right? Cause I mean, the picture that I'm getting of like I don't like to use this word, but minority people is that they just struggle and that there's nothing else. Like, that's it. And that's not true because from what I grew up in my home, I grew up in a Afro-Latinx home. My parents, Colombian, Panama, they came to this country to make it for me. I grew up with love. I grew up seeing black people with joy. I grew up seeing black people just uh, making it happen more than surviving, like just it's more than survival. It's literally making space for yourself. We've always just made space for ourselves. And I think it's time for the history books and the archives to show that and also to become more public for people to have access to them. Archives should not be in a dark room where no one can touch them collecting dust. That it doesn't work like that. It doesn't, it doesn't help anybody. If I would have saw an archive of people like me growing up, like my life would be so much different right now. <laughs> but I didn't. Um, and honestly, a lot of these archives are still being protected in a way where if you don't have a PhD, you cannot access them. And that's not fair. Um, that kind of also goes into like right now I'm working with the Brooklyn Museum um, and I'm working as an intern um, in their um, digital collections um, department. And I'm helping to digitize um, their glass plate um, collection from 1890 to about like 1910. So I get to touch a lot of these old images and scan them and make them accessible to people, um, which I think is really, really important, especially seeing these images and also seeing the language that was used and understanding more of our history. Like, especially within New York. New York is very, people don't realize, New York's history has always been very problematic. Um, we've literally, this whole city has been built on the backs of everyone else other than the people, literally everyone else other than the people who have all the money to run this city. Um, and I think people forget that. Um, even me, I'm born and raised here, and like I have a mindset that I believe is not normal and I only have it because I live here. Um, it's not normal to go all the time. It's not normal to be busy all the time. It's not normal to be working and doing this and doing 45 things. Like we have no chill here and that's not okay. Um, so this city has been built on just like constant go and exploitation of everyone else. So, um, it's very easy to continue to exploit. <laughs> it's already in the history, you know? So, um, yeah, uh, I think just very much so New York, and I keep saying this too, what is New York going to look like in 10 years when everyone who has been exploited can't be here anymore? Who's going to do the work? I don't know, because honestly, I... I, I I'm very sad for the city. <laughs> I'm very scared for the city. Um, at the rate that we're going, displacement um, for uh, minorities, for just uh, for culture, uh, for um, classism too. Just like there's no diversity anymore. Everyone, if you don't, if you're not a trust fund baby, or you don't make this certain amount of money, 
you technically are not surviving here. And that's not okay. Um, it's it's not. Especially, like, this is supposed to be an artist city. How, how can artists live here if they can't afford to be here? So um, I'm very interested as to how New York is going to look in the next 10 years. Because um, it's, it's scary. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing this work. I'm, I'm also doing a lot of work on gentrification, on, um, on documenting neighborhoods before they change. Um, I've been uh, doing a lot of work uh, in Crown Heights. I've been doing work. Uh, I, was, I was doing some work in Dumbo, but Dumbo is just far gone. It's, it's lost. <laughs> it's, it's, own, it's Manhattan now, basically. Um, I'm, I want to do East New York because East New York and East New York and Brownsville are like one of like the last frontiers right now that haven't really, they want to be touched, but people are still a little scared. They're treading softly. Um, so I'm, I'm looking to work with a lot of, uh, people in the neighborhood. Um, and, um, I'm also really interested in, uh, working with, um, older, uh, queer elders, um, once again, like a lot of my work has to do with history. Um, I'm specifically looking to work with Sage um, in Brooklyn um, and kind of work with them and uh, photograph them and, and, and just talk to them and spend time with them and and kind of show them that they they did it. They, they doing it and it's because of them that we're here and very much so all you new generation people growing up, do not forget your elders. Don't forget them. Spend time. Even if you you see somebody, just smile. Like, you don't... I think people, especially in New York City, forget that the old, like, older people, senior citizens, It's this is a very hard city for them to be in. Um, it's not very accommodating for them. Um, with, with the weather, with rent situations with also a lot of these people don't live in buildings that have elevators, just like normal things for, for our elders, they don't have. And believe it or not, like a smile or a hey or a hello or, or even if you can volunteer at your local senior citizen's home, um, it makes a big difference. Um, and I'm also learning this as I get older because I don't have, I've, I've always yearned for a lot of like older guidance in my life. Um, my mom passed when I was 15. Um, and I was like, the very much so I, you know, in, in, in Hispanic cultures, like when you're a teenager, that's when you're getting your grooming to be an adult and you like spend time with like the parent that, you know, if you're a boy, you spend time with your dad and you learn how to be a man. Or if you're a girl, you spend time with your mom and you learn how to be a woman. Like, not that I wanted to go down any of those gender expectations, but I definitely wanted to have that sense of female connection um, with my mother. And I didn't get that. And I didn't get that then. I'm actually getting it now as an adult. Um, uh, I'm very spiritual and I, I have an altar for her. And I literally like I pray to her every single day, her, my grandmothers and my grandfather. Shout out to them. Um, but uh yeah, I'm, I'm very much so realizing how important older energy is in my life and, and how much that guidance is something to not, it, you can't take it for granted. If you have it, cherish it um, and really spend time because you don't get time back. Time 
that's it, it's gone. We don't get this minute back. We don't get today back. We don't get tomorrow back, none of that. So learning how to value my time and spend time with people that I love um, in this crazy city <laughs> while I'm still working two jobs and making art and, you know, doing everything else that it is to be a regular human. Um, but I'm, I'm happy. I'm so happy for all of this work and just to be able to have others share their stories. Honestly, that's really all. I, I'm, I'm just the storyteller, um, but I'm not even really the storyteller. I'm literally just the vehicle that people use to tell their stories. And I'm totally okay with that. I love it. Um, and I get a real sense of fulfillment doing it. Um, so let's rewrite the history books, y'all. Tell us a little bit more about your first encounter with realizing that the history books were wrong. Was that a specific person or was it a time in your life when you began challenging the ideas that you're currently challenging? Um, growing up, I was very much so uh, gullible and very like easily manipulated in a way. So like I... I didn't really question much. I didn't question things till I got older. Um, and the reason why I started questioning it, questioning it um, specifically was because of the same question. I don't see anyone who looks like me. <laughs> why? <laughs> when I know there are a lot of people that look like me all over the world. Um, so for me, dismantling history was basically getting all the history that they were giving me in, 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 in high school and even, and very much so in college, because college is also, you think, you know, you, you think just because you're paying for an education that you're getting the facts, uh, you're, you're not, uh, you, you kind of got to go and do your own research. Um, I recommend that if you are in college, JSTOR, like scholarly articles, get up in there, do your, re do your own research, um, and, and, and read, read a lot read constantly, um, all the time, read different things, read different people, um, and kind of start to gain your own, uh, outlook and, and perspective because most, most of it is, most of our perspectives, especially in this academic, uh, world that, well, this academic structure that we have is very much so everyone force feeding things to you and you kind of just memorizing it and then regurgitating it back and not really ever developing a real opinion on it or actual, like, they don't teach you history for you to ask questions. They teach you history for you to just take it and just, just go with it. And um, I didn't learn that till I got, like, like really much, like, till I was, like, 25. I was like, wait, hold on. Um, so you're telling me that black people were only slaves and that's all they did, and before that uh, they did nothing um, and we don't know about it and that's it. Um, that's, I think that's false. <laughs> and then also realizing that a lot of our histories have always been oral, like this project. Our histories have always been oral and we don't write stuff down. We talk about it. We, 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 you know, we got, we gossip. We, 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 we exchange phone calls, all that, like that. Our history has always been just very much so out there. It hasn't been documented in the Western way. And in that sense, they've always told us that it's not as important or it, it doesn't exist or it's not true. And that's BS. Um, and um, 
another thing, uh, like a connection to that is also learning the importance of your family albums. Family albums are really, 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 really important. And I know it's a thing that we don't really do anymore because everything's on the cloud. But I, I urge you, if you have pictures, print them. Print them and put them in a book and make them a physical object that you can look at, that you can share, that you can document. The cloud is cute, but we don't know what's in the cloud. One day you can wake up, the cloud is gone. And that's it. There's your, all your memories gone. So I'm a very big, big believer. Go to CVS, print out the little four by six, five by seven little things, 46 cents a piece, and get you a little photo album from the 99 cent store and put it there and write little notes. This was December 16th, blah, 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 blah. This was me going to the store because believe it or not, that's where our archive starts. Our archive starts in the photo album at home. And it makes me sad that when I go to people's houses sometimes and I ask them, hey, do you have any photo albums? They don't. Um, and um, yeah, our history has always been about that. Um, and with technology, I think we're getting a little disconnected from it. Uh, but also technology has made things very much so accessible at the same time. It's made, I think of my grandmother in Colombia who, who, who basically never had a photo of her really taken, but got a smartphone and then was able to take a selfie and how, how revolutionary that must have been, like for you to have that. Um, so I'm not totally against technology. Technology has made things very accessible for communities that had not had access. But at the same time, uh, there needs to be a balance and there needs to be a kind of uh, uh, bring in the real and not have you stray too far um, type of thing where you become disconnected from everyone and everything else around you. Um, so, yeah, uh, for me, history, um, oral history, uh, making your own history and learning the importance of your own story is one of the things that I want my viewers and my audience to leave with, uh, knowing that they're important and that their vision matters and that you don't know who you might touch, but you very much so might not, you might not touch someone in this day and age, you might touch someone, you know, 100, 200 years from now and how important it is for all of these things to be done. We have, we, we're doing the work, but we have to do it in a way where we understand that it's important. I think we, we as um, people of color very much so downplay our, uh, anything that's not related to, how do I say? Not, I, want, I don't wanna say money, but anything that's not related to survival, uh, we downplay it and we don't realize how, how it also is important to survival. Um, so yeah, I, I wanna reclaim time, space, uh, procedure, ritual um, of just being, being a person of color, being a, a queer trans person of color. Like there were people here <laughs> that were before me and I, you know, I, I, I know that and they, they stand on my shoulders, I, I feel them. Um, yeah. So you mentioned um, your advice was to to go into JSTOR and start reading. What were, when you started reading, what were the, the 
the books or the articles or the media that um, has brought you to this place now? Um, I've been reading a lot of scholarly articles um, by like Bell Hooks, um, Saida Hartman. Um, there's this book called In the Wake In the Wake on Blackness and Being by Christina Sharp. Mm-hmm. That book literally changed my whole like perception on uh, on blackness um, mm-hmm. and and just realizing not not so much realizing well yeah realizing the tr- how bad generational trauma is because I think we forget that um, like most of us are born with trauma that we will not understand until we unpack it um, and have the space to unpack it. Um, But also just showed me the whole importance of ritual um, in in my life and how like just me being here alive is ritual and, and, and me just living is ritual um, and manifesting the power within that. Um, there's another book also called, um, Azuli's Mirrors, um, which is also really, really amazing. And it talks about just like the queerness within spirituality, which I think is also important, um, because a lot of times as, uh, queer folk, we're very much, we can be very estranged from any type of religion, spirituality, whatever. And understanding that a lot of these spiritualities and older ritual practices had us in mind. Um, But with colonialism, a lot of that changed. Um, There's always been a third gender. There's always been variation in gender. There's always been a variation in how you present your gender. It's just that the main colonial narrative has been male, female. There's two binaries. There's nothing else. Um, but if you look into African history, if you look into uh, uh, um, even uh, Latin, like indigenous and Latinx history, we've always been fluid with it. We've always tiptoed both lines. Um, but with religion, with centralized religion, and also with centralized, once again, colonialism, things changed and changed in a way where I think black people became very very, very drastic in how they perceived spirituality and perceived it in a very negative way, um, but have failed to understand that even centralized religion is is ritual and spirituality. So it's like, how can you accept one but not accept the other? Um, And yeah, I I think it's, it's very important. I don't care what you believe in. You can believe in anything you want to believe in, but I think it's also important to understand about, understand the energy within that and and be more forgiving um and more open as far as how you practice it it doesn't have to be such a structured line um everything is very much so fluid (laughs) the world is fluid um humans are fluid stop trying to put everything in the box it don't work um so yeah uh azuli's mirrors talks a lot about just queerness and spirituality and how the two can coexist together. Um, so that book was very, very, very life-changing for me. Because uh, uh, I've always had a real uh, hard, re- well, I have always had a difficult relationship with spirituality just for the fact that, like, I know my 
ancestors were very spiritual people, but it's been very much so disconnected. And it's, I think my work has very much so been about trying to figure that out and, and, and relearn a lot of these rituals that existed, um, for, for my, for my ancestors, basically. Um, and getting away from as a Latinx person, Afro Latinx person, uh, they're very spiritual, but also very scared of spirituality. They're superstitious, but also not at the same time. And I find it hilarious. <laughs> and I find it very much so like um, being being scared of what you don't know. Instead of just asking the question and trying to figure out, it's just, I'm scared, I don't want to know, that's it. Um, and a lot of my family, they're, they're, uh, they're Catholic, um, and I'm, 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 kind of just myself <laughs> and, and I, I go through a lot of issues because they're always calling me bruja and they always call me this and they always call me that which is fine but I'm trying to find a way where I can make the word bruja a positive term for them and not a negative term and not something that is met with uh with nervousness um yeah, uh, For rituals. Those who um, might be listening, can you explain what a bruja is? Bruja is a witch in Spanish, mm-hmm. um, but bruja usually has a very like uh, negative uh, connotation to it, just for the fact that it's like it's the same thing like with voodoo. Like voodoo has a very negative connotation for it because of uh, media uh, and how they portrayed it. So usually people, when they think of brujas, they think of like a soap opera and like the lady in the corner doing the juju on the candle and like slipping something into your drink. And then, you know, like you fell in love with her for like forever or something like that. And not understanding that, you know, that's not how it works. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's, 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 it's not like this, like, pill that I can slip into your drink and then you fall in love with me. It's, it's, don't believe the hype, y'all. If it was that easy, then everyone would be doing it. (laughs) Falling in love love or winning the lottery or uh, (laughs) talking to God or whatever, you know? So, um, Bruja is not evil. Bruja is good. Bruja just means that you, you practice ritual, that you're probably connected to the earth. You're connected to, um, the, the the elements water earth air and fire it, it means that you know about full moons and you know means that you know about new moons and it means that you know about the earth and the stars and the moon and and you know a little other things sprinkled here and there um, but it's nothing different than being a, how are we gonna say therapist but that's wrong therapy is too much uh, it's not it's I'll get back to y'all on that one. I'm not going to say something that, yeah, exactly, that I'm not 100% about. But, um, yeah, I've very much so just been going through the whole notion of just finding space to share my ritual and spirituality with my family in a way that they can come to understand it and not be so scared of it. Um, Especially, like, my dad. Um, Like, he's not scared of it or anything. He kind of, like, cracks at it, but... I think he also forgets that his mother was very much so in that as well. Um, and she used to like do tarot cards, like for people in the community, like people would come see her. Um, and then on my mother's side, my grandfather, he actually did uh, pendulum readings. Like he would read the pendulum. People would come to him and ask him all sorts of crazy questions and 
he's actually really, really good at it. Um, so I'm just kind of learning about this power that's in my family and that's within me. And hopefully, you know, we'll manifest it like really strongly one day. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very much so, I'm very, so, I'm so happy to be living in my truth and just happy to just be living and my full 100% self. I don't care about what anybody feels or says. I am here. I'm here to stay. I'm here to be here. And I'm here to do work. And I know the ancestors put me on this world for a reason. I'm going to drop this tidbit. I was a premature baby. I was born in December, but I was supposed to be born in March. Um, so I spent about two and a half months in an incubator just cooking for the rest of the time. So I could have died, but I'm here for a reason. So um, knocking on some wood, I share for that. Yes. Um, we got work to do. We got stuff to unpack, y'all. A lot of stuff. So, yeah. So does ritual show up in, in your photography or perhaps in your practice? Ritual shows up in almost everything that I do. Um, but it's definitely has been making appearance in my photography in the last maybe like five years. Um, a lot of my work uh, has been been about either documenting um like i did a i'm doing a long-term project that i've been working on for the last uh three to four years um and it's called the black spirituality project um and it's just highlighting um black people uh people of color who practice um spirituality but in a way but highlighting them and kind of changing what society has fed us of what a witch looks like or what a, a you know a spiritualist looks like um everything has been very much so whitewashed and i'm trying to bring some color back to that and also showing that we we were the originals we've been doing this and uh we deserve uh representation in 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 this sector um so yeah i've been working on this project for the last four years um documenting um people who practice different um, traditions, um, Kanumble, who practice Lakumi, who practice uh, uh, Santeria, who practice Yoruba, um, and kind of, I want to make this list go longer and, and uh, incorporate more uh, uh, religious beliefs and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, a lot of my work is very much so around um, spirituality, around... Um, basically me trying to understand myself so that I can understand the people who came before me because I know that they are in me. Um, so unpacking what it is to be me and then kind of running with that so that I can make others also feel comfortable in telling their stories and being open with who they are. Um, I don't know. I've been very much so feeling like the last, like the last year or two that, um, I'm kind of also meant to be a connector. I'm meant to start these things to connect other people um, and also to kind of start the conversation um, within archives, once again, about how how inclusive they are or, or exclusive they are to people and how um, the people who need access to them don't have access to them. Um, so, yeah, I want to change the layout of the archive. I want to make archives more public. I know it, it, a lot of it has to do with funding and money and all this other stuff, but some of it really doesn't um, because, it, you know, you have people. 
a lot of these museums and stuff, they have interns. They have people who work there for free. They they have the they have the hands and the manpower to do it. But do they think it's important? That's a thing. And and getting them to change that mindset and and understanding that without the people, your institution can't run. Um, so you need the people, and you need to show all the people, not just one type of people. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to I want to un- unpack a lot of this um, classism and 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 racism and uh, genderism that happens because also a lot of, um, a lot of women are not given a lot of access is just for the white male the the white male um, who has a PhD or has a master's that's another thing if you don't have the doctorate or whatever you don't get access to these spaces which is really, I think it's stupid. <laughs> it's very stupid because you're literally limiting people and you're literally telling people that, hey, you don't have the right to know that this existed. Um, you only have the right to know that this happened and that happens and everything else is just not a thing. And... Um, I grew up also thinking that my my history or my life or or just what I was going through wasn't important and didn't matter. And I'm learning that it, that it does matter. Like if I would have saw a little uh, a black person like me growing up, I probably like I said, I would have been so much happier. Happier. I probably would have skipped three years of uh, freaking identity crisis because I've had I had an identity crisis all throughout middle school and high school. Mostly because of being Afro Latinx and not knowing that Afro Latinx was a thing, I thought that I had to be black or I had to be Hispanic. I could not be both, um, and that's why I'm very happy that this word exists and that people are using it and that they're adding, you know, um, that it's not so gendered either because the Spanish language is very, very, very gendered. So to have the ability to put an X on it and just be like, "That's what it is," is is very important. Um, and yeah, it's shoot. There's a little, there's a little brown person right now who's like half this and half that, and feels like they have to make a choice between, you know, being black and owning their blackness, or being Hispanic or Latinx or whatever, and and feeling like they really have to choose. And you don't have to choose. You are both. You are a multitude of things. And ultimately i i don't i don't want to sound like this but ultimately it all goes back to blackness anyway so um yeah uh sorry guys for those who don't want to be black but you know you're you came from blackness um just so you know yeah so that was my little uh 100% real fact for you if you wasn't ready <laughs> you got it now <laughs> but um yeah um just learning that you matter and it sounds easy but it's not you know but i'm gonna tell y'all y'all matter all right y'all stories matter keep taking them selfies but print them out and put them in a book (laughs) don't keep them in the cloud (laughs) but um so going back to um what you said earlier about uh, this fracture um that has happened um Dramatically, homes um, and, and displacement. Um, I wonder if uh, 
in your your photo, photographic process? How does um, home um, go into that? All right, let me home. Well, this is kind of funny, but I do do a lot of work out of my home <laughs> to come like to make it full circle. Um, since I shoot wet plate, I'm shooting with a lot of like raw materials. So I am using um, silver nitrate in its raw form with, um, with, with, I'm making like a bath out of it. And then I'm also using like ether and I'm using like uh, metal salts and I'm using, um, what you call it? Uh, gum cotton, because that's what collodion is. Collodion is like literally like a sticky gum cotton that you would put on, on the plate. So I'm using all these like, raw materials and kind of making them happen in, in my home. Um, and I shoot everything from my backyard. Um, cause another thing with this process is it needs UV light in order to work. So it's not an in-studio process. Um, I can't just set up a light and be like, okay, cool. And if I did set up a light, the exposure could be anywhere between a minute to like five minutes. So imagine trying to hold a pose for five minutes. This is why when you see a lot of like old school photos, you don't, they don't smile because there's no way you can hold a smile for three minutes. Like these exposures are really, really, really long. Um, like, I don't know if you know about like ISO, um, but like in, in film photography, there's like um, ISO or uh, ASA. And um, that's basically the speed of the film. And depending on the speed of the film depends on how you can shoot it. So like lower speed films, you're going to want to shoot in the daytime and higher speed films, you're going to want to shoot at night. The speed of my, usually the, the lowest speed film that you can find will probably be like 100, maybe 60 if you get lucky. My ISO is 0.5. So <laughs> it, it's, it's like literally like nothing. Um, so with that being said, um, it needs UV light in order to make the exposure longer. Um, so with me shooting everything in my backyard, I kind of, I also like it because it, it allows me, first of all, I only invite subjects that I'm a hundred percent comfortable with. I only work with people that I have built relationships with. I don't work with strangers. Um, just for the fact that I'm inviting you into my home, first of all. And then second of all, this is a very timely process. Taking one plate, takes about uh, 45 minutes to an hour, um, just one. And um, they're also one of a kinds, like I can't reshoot it. Once I coat the plate and, and, and do it, like that's it, this is a one of a kind unique print. Um, so with that being said, my home very much so has been starting to be reflected into my work because I've been doing a lot of like self portraits with myself and kind of, uh, Mostly because I've had a like a really bad experience with models, <laughs> with people. People flaked on me a lot. Um, and I get it. I think it's a, a New York thing. New Yorkers are really flaky. I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, we just, it's a flaky thing. I don't, I don't know. I guess you're trying to do 45 different things at the same time. So you're just like, oh, it's okay if I flake like two of them. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not a cool thing. Work on that, y'all. Work on it, okay? Um, but yeah, I literally had to resort to like shooting myself because like people kept flaking on me and with shooting myself, I started like really like looking at my family home and realizing 
the privilege that I have with having a family home. I've never ever moved in my life. And I know that's that's like freaking insane, like in New York. Like people move at least twice a year here. I've never moved. Um so a lot of like the space that I've occupied has has like thirty years of like energy of my energy in it. And like it also has my grandfather's energy and it also has like, you know, my my, my father and his brothers and all like there's a lot of memories and, and stuff in the house and I'm I'm starting to like work with that and and kind of like document it in a way where also I'm showing the importance of um of uh POC home ownership and how that's a thing that does exist um and how it's always it's existed for a long time it's just that now it seems like not a thing that's possible anymore in New York um so yeah my my work definitely wraps around a lot about home a lot about um just like unpacking what I thought I knew, what I thought I knew about a specific um, place. Um, like I said, my home. I'm, I'm like literally learning every day something new about what happened there um, before I was born or when I was young. Um, and like they're like really, they're like, I believe they're like really radical things. Um, and mm-hmm. like, you know, my father deciding to like build a shed in the backyard like randomly to like house a piece of a boat from like the 1960s why (laughs) why but it's there and kind of um understanding the time also like park slope back in the day was a shit show excuse my language it got overrun by crack uh i remember as a kid um like as a really young, young, young baby hearing like knocks on the windows and like people trying to find out what the new crack house was. Like my my block was the crack stroll, like constantly 24-7 people passing by, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, and just, um, I guess, getting people to understand like the recession that happened in New York and what like what it led to and how at a time where the city was seen as undesirable by everyone else, it was very much so desirable by the people who lived here um, because they were creating community and they were creating spaces for themselves. And then once New York became desirable again, how the spaces that they created for themselves no longer were able to be maintained. Um, like a, a big thing that's happening right now is the Murican uh, Cafe, Poets Cafe, is actually also dealing with gentrification right now, where they might get shut down because there's a high uh, luxury, there's a, a luxury condo right next door to them, and the luxury condo doesn't like that they throw events at night, which I think is freaking absurd. It's literally that's a New York institution. If New York does not have the Murican Cafe anymore, it's like getting rid of the Apollo, dead ass. The New Yorican is is a space for emerging artists and for just people interested in art and stuff. And it's always been a very welcoming space. Um, I used to go there. Uh, a lot of people that I know used to go there. Um, and that's where a lot of them got their start to be poets, spoken word artists, singers, MCs, whatever, the whole nine. And for that space to be very much so um, almost shut down, it makes me very sad. Um, it's like Free Candy that used to be open in Brooklyn. They got shut down too. They were also really an awesome artist space that was there for people and they couldn't afford to be open. Where was that located? Um, that was on uh, Washington Avenue and 
It used to be the old Afropunk offices before Afropunk uh, became a shit show as well. Um, I don't mess with them either, but um, the space free candy was awesome um, for what they were doing. Um, and um, yeah, there's a lot. I can't really think of anything right now, but like literally this is like a this is a trending theme like like now what space is going to get shut down next? Uh, who cannot afford funding this year? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it, it, like I keep saying, we go keep going right back to it. Who's going to live in New York in 10 years? I don't know. It might not be me. I don't know. Because Lord have mercy. Like you need like, you need to be making like over a hundred dollars an hour to be living here comfortably. And that's not, that's not real life. It's not, it's never been real life. Um, so yeah, going back to that, don't sell your grandmother's house. Don't sell your auntie house. Don't sell your grandpa's house, your uncle house, your cousin house. Even if you got to get your, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your friend to like all go in and y'all like buy it together. I'm all about buying homes, buying property with a collective of people. If you can make sure the relationships within that collective works as well, because the last thing you want to do is buy something and then it'd be messed up because y'all couldn't get along, but invest, invest in property, uh, figure out what's going on out there. Uh, there's a lot of like free, free things. Take advantage of the free things in the city. Guys, there's a lot of information. Like I'm in this beautiful public library right now that I also, I'm sad to say have never been to. And should, I should be here all the freaking time. So take advantage of your resources, y'all. Because, crap, if, if, if we can't afford to be here, at least we can use up all the other stuff that's free. Because, huh. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so you shoot in your home. I shoot in my castle. You quite literally reclaim your time. Literally in, reclaiming time. Literally in this long process of taking one photo. Mm-hmm. Um which then leads into what sounds like an elaborate ritual of um, chemical compounds and craft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when that image appears? Okay, so I'm going to walk you through the quick spiel of the process. So I get either a glass plate or a tin plate. Um, I pour collodion on it which is a mixture of gum cotton and metal salts. Um, I put the plate that I just coated with collodion into a bath of silver nitrate. And once it's in the bath of silver nitrate, that's when it becomes light sensitive and it becomes uh, what I'm able to take a photo with. I put that, that glass plate or that tin plate in a special plate holder that I have for my camera. Um, I'm using a 1940s press camera. So, um, the cameras that you see the guys put the cloth over their head and all of that with the with the flat that's what i'm using um so i put my plate in there um and then i shoot the plate after i shoot the plate i'm developing it on site it's called wet plate photography because it has to be the whole entire process has to be done while the plate is wet once the plate dries it's no longer usable it's trash um so, like, luckily we live in New York where we're an island. We're surrounded by water. So the water actually helps keep, helps allow, allows me to have more time to do the process. But if I live somewhere like New Mexico or Arizona, um, I would literally have maybe two to five minutes to do everything from start to finish. Um, and um, 
to me, that's very stressful. <laughs> so I'm very lucky that I live in New York where I have more time. But also one of the downsides of it is that since this process uses uh, natural sunlight, it's wintertime. What does wintertime mean? Wintertime means I wake up to darkness and I go to sleep in darkness. There's no real sun. She's not happy. So it makes um, very much so me look for days. I am literally looking for the sun um, and waiting for the sun and being like, is this a sunny day? Can I shoot today? Oh, no, I can't shoot. So um, the last the last month and a half has been um, really hard on me. I haven't been able to shoot like I like because of just like the weather and the sun and my life has been totally insane um, the last couple months with a lot of good things. Um, you know, I uh, got a lot of new, uh, got a couple shows coming up next year that I'm very, very excited about um, that is going to be definitely kind of um, pushing this whole theme of reclaiming histories, reclaiming time, reclaiming um, reclaiming the photograph for the POC person. Um, that's what I wanted. That's what I'm doing. Um, so uh, definitely I will, uh, when I know more information or when I'm, when I'm okay to tell more information, I will definitely do that. Um, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very excited for everything that's to come. So then how do you know so after I develop it, it kind of just, it's like magic. It's like, um, have you ever been in a dark room? I, I've been in very dark rooms. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a specific photo dark room. No. Okay. So a photo dark room, uh, when you do, when you do photography for the first time, there's always a magic that happens. Um, when you put your uh, paper or whatever into the first batch of chemicals, that's your developer, the image kind of appears like magic. And that's exactly what happens with wet plate. It kind of, there's nothing. And then all of a sudden you start to see this thing start to appear. And it's like, like a magic. Um, and I kind of just, I more so get excited and think of like, like imagine when this shit, like imagine when this first came out, like in the 1800s when someone saw this, like, what did they think? Did they think they were like a god, or did like did they did they like how how did they do this? How did they figure out to like throw a metal salt into a batch of ether and then throw that with some collodion and then put some silver on top and like like history astounds me like what people have done um, and uh, yeah, there's like um, so. When it when it's developed, it, it starts to appear. It appears, and then after that, you put it into a, a batch of water that kind of just rinses it out, and then you put it into a batch of fixer, which fixes the image to the plate. Which now that means that the image won't fade away. If you don't fix things, usually what happens is um, if you have you ever seen like a really really old photo that's quite fading, that means that it probably wasn't fixed all the right way. So the image kind of just will go away until there's nothing there. Um, so I fix my image, and then after that, I let it dry. Um, and then after I dry it, I have to varnish it. And varnishing, I also make my own chemical to varnish it. It's um, a combination of, like, lavender oil and, like, tree sap. Um, oh, a tree sap um, for its, uh, you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't really know. I think when they both get together, um, they kind of create like a 
they can harden things. So they be they kind of makes like this like protective layer on top of it. Something about those two chemicals coming together, they, that's what they do. Um, and after it varnishes, it actually has to sit in like a. I put mines in um, little CD cases, but they have to actually sit and cure for about two weeks before you can actually let them be handled by anybody. Um, so it's literally a very time-consuming process from like me mixing up all my chemicals. Um, usually it takes me two days to mix up all my chemicals. And then after I mix them, they have to sit for about two weeks to cure to get for me to actually be able to use them. Then I like shoot everything, whatever. Um, and then I have to let it, I have to let it dry and then I have to varnish it. So like from start to finish, everything can take me like about two to three weeks to just like do one batch of of photos um which i like because me personally i'm a fire sign i'm a sagittarius i've been needing to slow down and this process has made me slow down even if i don't want to i have to i have to slow down and i think that's very it's been very um very good for my work and it's been very good for my whole how i think about how things are being made and done um yeah because I very much so, especially like with digital photography, it's very easy for you to just press the button and keep pressing the button and, and then that's it. And then when you get home, that's when you look at stuff and, you know, you realize that you might have messed up like 50 of the 100 photos you took and they're not, they're trash. And if you would have just slowed down a little bit and like actually look at what you were doing and frame things and and also be present with your subject. I think a lot of people are not present with their subject. Uh, they don't. They don't know how to make people feel comfortable in a way that their story comes out. Um, it's, it's, yeah, uh, I lost my train of thought. But how anyway. How do you know that the story has come out? Because, I, I don't know, I, I guess I just make good pictures. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I have a, so far from the feedback that I've gotten, I've, stories have come out. Um, and I think it's also because I, I work with my subjects over a period of time. I, I don't just, hey, let's meet up, I shoot you, and then that's it, I never talk to you. Like, I, I do sessions with people. Like, I might not even get a good photo until, like, the third session. And I'm totally okay with that. Because also, it's about, I, also, I, I have a need to also want to get to know people and network and, and just um, be around other people's energy. Like, that's how I recharge myself by being around others that can recharge me um so um yeah i i let people tell their own stories i don't got no time to be telling a story for you that's that's what you're here for <laughs> and i think that's that's uh more artists more photographers should remember that that it's not about you it's about the person that you're photographing um, yeah, you're making the work and yeah, you're important because you have the skill for it. But ultimately without that person, you couldn't make any work mm-hmm. unless you're photographing yourself, which that's what I'm doing now. So I guess, you know, I'm a little full circle, but you know, <laughs> your subject matters. Okay. What are you finding by photographing yourself? Um... I don't know. I guess I'm just learning to have more, uh, to be more gentle with myself, um, and to, um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very hard worker. Um, and sometimes to the point where I work myself into exhaustion, um, 
for everyone else's stuff rather than my own. Um, so I'm learning through working with myself on putting that same energy into myself and um, not depleting, not deplete, not deplete, yeah, not depleting. My meter is, my cup is full and I'm working at keeping that cup full and not making it empty to the point where now I can't refill it, um, which that was very much so the theme for a lot of this year was overworking myself. Um, and last year, like last year, I had like three jobs at one point and I was still doing art. And I was also, um, I also have a partner and I have family and like, I was just trying to do way too much. Um, so this, yeah, this year and into next year, I'm definitely learning how to uh, spend more time on myself and rest as hard as I work. Um, and uh, I feel like my work will definitely grow a lot from that. You can't make stuff if you're tired or um, not nourished. Um, and um, how do you find rest? How do I find rest? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know how to answer that question. I think I'm still learning how to find rest. Um, I rest when I hang out with my partner. They're very supportive and very, very, um, they fill my cup. Shout out to you, Harley. We miss you. Um, and um, my family also is supportive. Um, I'm going to put a quote on that, uh, quotation marks, because um, they're as supportive as they can be. Um, they don't know how to support they don't, they still don't know what art is. <laughs> They're just like, what do you mean you're doing? Like, how do you, like, they know what art is, but they don't know. Uh, cultures of color don't understand art as a job. Art is not really a job. Um, and I'm getting my dad and other people in my family to understand that art can be brought into any aspect of anything that you do. It's about how you. Ultimately, it comes down to how you sell yourself as an artist. Um, and I'm learning that I can do almost anything. I can work in a museum. I can work in a school. I can work with nonprofits. I can work with the public library. I can, like, the list goes on. I can work in a textbook. Like, it's so many things. And it's getting my family and everyone else to understand that art is very also very fluid. And you can do it in many different ways. And... Um, you can make money from it and it can be a career and it can also be a tool to help us unpack all this generational trauma that we've been dealing with for years. Because that's, I think another thing that I, that my family does not believe that they have trauma. <laughs> like they don't think it's a thing. Um, yeah, you do have it because you gave it to me. So, um, yeah, uh, you also have to unpack. It. Um, and you can do so by art, believe it or not. And art is also, it's not just drawing. Art is talking. Art is documenting. Art is archiving. Art is networking. Like, art is, like, so, like, once again, this word fluid keeps coming back. Like, we are human. We as humans are very fluid. And we need to stop being so stuck on this binary when it comes to everything. Not only gender, but just life. Um, 
what is what is right versus what is wrong, what is okay versus what is not okay, what I feel is right versus, you know, what is not right. So all of that, it doesn't exist. It's, it's very much so they overlap. A lot of things overlap and things touch each other and this one goes over there and that one goes over there and that's what human existence is, fluidity. Um, so I think if we all learn that, the faster we learn that, the better it will be for everyone else in society um, because there will be space for them um, to exist. So, um, yeah, a lot of just what I'm doing with myself is also kind of just what I'm doing with my family and what I'm doing also for, like, the future people who are coming who I don't want them to go through what I went through because they shouldn't have to. Um, and especially now where we have access to all these using technology for the better and not for the worse, you know, documenting our stories and, 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 and also, but also making it a physical object. I go back to the physical object because the cloud, I don't know where the cloud is. I don't know who she is. I don't know who he is. I can't talk to them. I can't ask them for my shit back. So yeah. I like, I like my own cloud, which is my photo album, AKA writing stuff down. I still write things in a book <laughs> and I still, you know, do these analog things because we're, you know, history has been preserved mostly because of that. So yeah. Um, so returning to becoming, or should I say being the subject of your own photograph. Have you found yourself encountering a uh, a sort of uh, struggle of um, looking and seeing yourself? Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, once again, unpacking everything that I grew up with or how specifically I was taught that I should be um, and kind of seeing myself for who I've always been. Um, and I've always been queer. I've always been trans. I've always been just myself. I've, and, and learning that that's okay. <laughs> and it's okay to take up that space. Um, and just, Just learning how to be 100% me all the time um, and not being ashamed of it. I've, I was a very shy kid growing up. I was a very uh, shy, shy and curious, but also I was easily manipulated and it was easy for people to just, because I ultimately want to please people. I like to, I like to see people happy. I like to please people. That's one of the, that's one of my things. Um, and I get to get taken advantage of because I want to see people happy. Um, but I'm now in a space where I'm learning that I, I can set up emotional boundaries and it's necessary and that's okay. And I don't have to, I don't have to be there all the time. Um, and growing up in a role where I was like basically getting like a, 
getting uh, groomed to be this Latinx woman who is ultimately going to take care of their man and do all these things and blah, 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 blah. Learning that I was never met, like, that was never going to be a thing. <laughs> and that's totally okay. You know, that's totally fine. Um, and even if I have to educate people, also learning that, like, and it's sad to say, but a lot of our lives is educating people. Um, and, and you don't have to do that work all the time. It's not necessary for you to educate people. If you don't want to educate people, don't educate them. Because you don't, if you don't have the capacity to do it, don't do it. And that's totally okay. And I want people to remember that. You don't owe people necessarily anything. Especially if you don't have the energy or the your cup is not full to do so. Um, especially in a city like New York where you're basically kind of told that you have to all the time. You don't. Um, it's very important for you to center yourself and, and, and get to a place where you feel okay to then do that if you want to. Um, you don't have to. But then you also got to remember too, and it, and it sucks and it's sad, but you are probably going to be put in situations where you're going to have to educate. Um, and um, me, I'm at a place where I don't mind educating right now. I don't mind it just for the fact that a lot of people that I've been educating are older people who also didn't realize that they had the space to also explore that. Um, one of my favorite things is um, I help, um, I'm a teacher's assistant at the Penumbra Foundation and that's where I learned how to um, do like this whole historical photography. So like if you're interested in it, they offer workshops and stuff. But um, when, like in the beginning of the workshops, we always have like a round table where everyone says their name and stuff. And now we've been starting to like include uh, gender pronouns. And it's really awesome because you get like a lot of these older people who are like maybe like plus 50 and like, this is the first time they've ever been asked that. Literally first time. And they're just like, oh, I could be a she or a he or a they or a them, like me? And I'm like, yeah. And it's so amazing to see someone so like older like that have a eureka light bulb moment and be like, oh my gosh, like, maybe there's more to me than just what I've been told the whole time. And it's such a beautiful thing to like see them navigate the space and be like, you know what? I think, I think I'm a they. And I'm just like, okay, that's what's up. You're a they, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with that, whatever you want to be. And like seeing that a lot of times they don't have the privilege or they never get asked. Like they don't get asked that because they, because of the time that they grew up in um, and just how radical, you know, like people who did come out and did, you know, who were in their 100% themselves at that time, like how radical that was and how it's still radical today, but like, I don't know, I just, it's something so beautiful and, and, and finally someone being able to see themselves. And not they're not looking anymore. They're seeing themselves. Mm -hmm. And they want everyone else to see it too. And that's that's so beautiful. Um yeah. Sixty plus and they're like, oh my God, like maybe I should dig deeper and figure out who I am. And 
I, I don't know. I, I, it's just something so, you know, amazing about that, that I get to, like, be there and, like, kind of, like, be the trigger to it because you would have never, or that was never your vocabulary. Um, so teaching vocabulary um, to people who never had access to it but can clearly use it um, in their everyday lives. Um, so, yeah, I just want to spread spread knowledge, spread love, spread art, spread, you know, the whole idea that, like, once again, I'm going to keep saying that our stories matter, you guys. Um, they've always mattered um, and they've always been told. It's just that now we have more of an ability to kind of curate it in the way that holds positive representation for us. Um, and I'm very excited to what for what the future holds. Um, I'm very excited for a lot of um, queer artists, uh, POC artists who are kind of also looking back and seeing the, the importance in, in, in going back to kind of correct the future. Um, yeah, we are, we're bending time, y'all. We fucking that whole shit up. Excuse me, I don't know if I'm supposed to curse, but we're messing it up. We're like, cha-cha-ching. All of that, okay? Air horn on that. Like, I'm so excited for, like, how history might be perceived in, like, 50 years. What, like, textbooks might look like. I'm excited because I know a lot of the work is being done now to change how we see all of this in the future. Um, so, yeah, here's to um, to an accurate history class. <laughs> Thinking of the future, what do you want people to see in the in your photos? Um, I can't answer that. I want people to see what they see. Um, I'm I don't want to put my my intention or my vision on anything. What I'm just going to continue to do is I'm going to continue to document people. I'm going to continue to tell people that they're important, that their story matters, um, and I'm going to continue to just do this work because I'm I. Like, I honestly and I truly believe that I was put on this earth for this. And I know my ancestors put me here for this to kind of to show other people how important they are as well. Um, and from that, I from like literally from that, I recharge. I, that is that is my that's my cup of water. <laughs> Just allowing people to, how you said, see themselves. And sometimes it's for the first time, and it's like, I don't know, it's it's, it's such a beautiful thing. Like, I, I literally, like, I feel so honored when I when people allow me to shoot them and allow me to tell them their stories. Because sometimes I don't think that my work is that special. I really don't. But um, but I'm learning that I can't think that way. Um, it's, it's, it's special. It's important. Um, and... Uh, yeah, you can definitely, if you're interested, www.photofelly.com. Um, I have some images there. <laughs> and um, I also am on, I'm on Instagram, photofelly, um, P-H-O-T-O-F-E-L-L-I. And uh, yeah, you can follow my work. Um, I literally, I only post work. I'm boring. I'm sorry. I don't really post my life. <laughs> I just post what I'm working on because that is my life. Um, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm very much so excited for the future. I'm excited for 2020. I'm excited for networking, for more connections, for more projects like this. Um, and uh, I don't know, hopefully there will be a collab coming soon. 
the same. Whip it up. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's kinda that's kinda this um this whole this whole queer soul from Brooklyn. That's that's mm-hmm. that's their little mini story. Um living with their uh with their siblings and their uh and my turtle. I have a turtle. <laughs> Captain Jack. Captain Jack. <laughs> Captain Jack. Um Captain Jack used to be married to Calypso, but Calypso passed away. So now it's just Captain Jack. But they're kinda badass. They're like they're almost like ten years old. Um like they've been with me for ten years and uh yeah, I think my spirit animal is low-key a turtle. Either a turtle or a hummingbird, one of the two, because mm-hmm. I'm constantly moving. Mm-hmm. Just doing this all the time. <laughs> Where am I going? Where? What are we doing? Ah, ah. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's me. I don't know, really. I don't know really what else to say. Um, No, not really. I think I really much so said everything. Um, and if I didn't say it, it, it probably didn't need to be said, honestly. Um, and if you're all, oh, and also if you're a queer person, a POC queer person who's interested, um, please feel free to uh, send me an email and hit me up. I'm always looking for subjects that are not flaky. Um, but I'm always looking for subjects who, um, are interested in really creating this queer archive with me. Um, and, uh, ultimately I want to make this into a book, um, and, uh, send it to like, you know, different libraries and, um, different like residencies and stuff and just have it as a resource, um, for people to, to see, to see like what, what queer looks like right now. What does... What does queer look like in two thousand in the two thousands, and and why, especially, how much it has evolved and how much traction it's gotten, um, just kind of like showcasing this important time in history. This this time is very important. There's a lot of things. 50, 50 years of Stonewall just passed to past, and just like a lot of things are happening um, within just like just like queer art, um, just like queer activism, and um, just like the whole nine yards of just understanding, not even understanding, once again, going back to just reclaiming, reclaiming the space and reclaiming the time and reclaiming the funds because a lot of us deserve to get paid also like on a timely matter, Um, just reclamation. Um, So I'm going to continue to... uh, basically stamp this reclamation with every portrait that I take. Um, every plate that I make is literally a, an affirmation to say that we've been here, we are here, look. Um, and um, and yeah, um, this is very much so a life's project. So um, don't be surprised if it's still going on 50 years from now. <laughs> the work does not stop. <laughs> It just keeps going and transforms itself. So, yeah, um, I'm I'm happy. I'm honored, son. I'm honored to have been chosen to to do this. I'm very honored, very honored. Because I understand my privilege also in the fact that like 
yeah, I understand my privilege just just being here. Like a lot of my ancestors died in the ocean, um, mm-hmm. and you know, I I'm literally like every morning I have a glass of water and I think and I and I literally tell the glass of water, thank you, thank you, thank you to all those who basically sacrificed themselves for me to be here. Like I I come from slaves, like I know that, and and you know what, I'm honored like to continue to be here and 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 live in my truth. And also live as a queer person because I know that that's um, one of the things. Well, something that I've been very interested in and have been asking people is, do you know about the queer people in your family? Like, do you know about your queer ancestors? Who are they? Can you point them out in a book? Can you point them out in a photo album? Are they in the photo album? Like, were they documented? And usually the answer I get is no or no. I'm the first queer person in my family that I know of. And I know that's that's BS. That's 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 not true. So I'm literally like I, once again doing this work to show that we've been here. We always been here. It's just that most of us have been either told to hide away because of family or work or a job or whatever, or we also just didn't feel comfortable in ourselves to 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 be out. Once again, being out is a privilege. So I very much so understand my privilege as being a queer, black, gender non-conforming trans person. Like, I'm literally, I'm, I'm literally living for somebody who could not do it. Um, and I literally, I tell myself that every day. I, I tell myself that every day. And, and I use it as a mantra, literally, to continue doing this work because um, we take life for granted sometimes. Um, and we take time and life for granted, so. Once again, shout out to my ancestors, to Ana Rosa, to Adriana, to Mariana, to Jose, uh, to um, mi papito, that I forget your name right now because I just used to call you papito, uh, my step-grandfather. Like, y'all are with me every day. I know it. Like, you know, so um, a moment for them, (laughs) like to bring them into the space and just understand that, that I thank you guys, so. Um, yeah, uh, with that, I smile <laughs> really, really, really hard. Um, and just, um, yeah, I continue to say, document yourselves, archive your story, make it physical, make it a thing that you can touch, feel, share with other people. And, um, and yeah, continue to do the work. We do the work every day without realizing it. Most of our lives are ritual. We don't even realize it. And just just keep living in it. Just keep doing it. Um, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep lighting my little white candle. Every time we got a little new moon, a full moon, I'm going to ask my ancestors. I'm going to thank them. Um, and, uh, yeah, remember your ancestors, your queer ancestors specifically, Those, even those that we do not know of, because believe it or not, their story will come to light. It will. It may not be right now, but it it will. Somebody will find it, and somebody will make it an important piece of history because it is. Um, yeah, Black Lives Matter. That's 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 it. Um, I don't know what else to say, <laughs> but um, yeah. This is um. We're about out of time. Oh. Um, and. My final question is usually, is there anything else that you wanted to say that you didn't have an opportunity to say? 
which is just an invitation. Um, love yourselves. Rest as hard as you work. Self-care is important. Remember that you living in your truth is ritual and just living in your truth is a statement in itself. Um, and, uh, yeah, just continue to love each other and, and spread love, even if it's just a smile to the stranger in the subway. Believe it or not, like, warm, warm energy carries better than negative energy. So even, and this is, this is also advice to myself because I find myself lately being very much so um, not in control of my emotions, um, but learning that, just learning how to rewire everything and how to like reaccess and analyze things and, uh, yeah, um, unpack, unpack stuff, unpack it. Even if you don't think you have stuff to unpack, unpack, you probably do. Um, it's probably hidden deep, 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 deep in there somewhere. Um. And yeah, that's that's basically it. Like I, I kept saying, document your stories, y'all. I'm not gonna say it again. Well, I am gonna say it again. Document your <laughs> stories. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's it. Basically, thank you for having me. I really, really, really enjoyed talking and just being a hundred percent just me. <laughs> it's not a lot of options to do that, so I really appreciate. Um, the project and you for inviting me to be a part of this. Thank, Thank you. you for contributing. Thank you.